right. <clears throat> if you get your Bibles open to Genesis 13, I just start with this question. Have any of you ever made bad decisions? Anybody got multiple PhDs in bad decisions? Yeah, yeah. Well, <clears throat> what I want to show you, and I think what makes the Bible so real for me, is how flawed our heroes are. There's only one guy that had it together. His name was Jesus, the God-man. Everybody else that we hold up as heroes, when you start reading their stories, oh, they're far from heroes. They made some heroic decisions like we talked about last week. <clears throat> God calls Abraham out of Ur in the middle of Iraq. <clears throat> I got a promised land for you. I'm going to build a great nation. And the Messiah is going to come through your line. And all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. And Abraham says, I'm in. Let's go. Great decision. And then he's going to make a bad one. At the end of chapter 12, it says the famine came on the land. And this is the only time Abraham never talks to God at all. A famine comes on the land. He picks up his family and moves to Egypt. Didn't bother to talk to God. Could God have taken care of him there? Could God have taken care of him in the middle of a famine? Of course he could have. But, he, but Abraham never asked God anything. He just went to Egypt. Now here's the problem. He goes to Egypt. Now I don't know what the deal is with this Sarah woman. Okay. Because Abraham is 75 years old. We're still 25 years from Isaac being born, this child of promise. All right, Sarah is 65 years old. Because Abraham's going to be 100, Sarah's going to be 90 when this child of the promise actually shows up. But Abraham says to Sarah, when we go down to Egypt, <clears throat> he said, baby, you look hot. And he said, you need to tell them you're my sister not my wife, because if you tell them you're my wife, they're going to kill me. She's 65. I don't know what's going on here. I'm just telling you the story. And so they go down, and sure enough, she gets swept up into Pharaoh's harem. And you say, well, okay, what's the problem? Well, let me tell you what the problem is. Abraham just jeopardized all of earth's chances for a messiah. Because isn't the promise that Messiah is going to come through Abraham and Sarah? That the world is going to be blessed? Abraham, you just risk my soul with this stupid decision. Fortunately, fortunately, God steps in and brings, it says, horrible diseases upon Pharaoh and all of his family. And somebody says, hey, this is about this Sarah girl. We don't know what the deal is. And so Pharaoh says, all right, Abraham, Sarah, get out. Just get out of my country. And he throws them out. But again, Abraham, what were you thinking? Well, he's going to get it together. And now it's Lot's turn to make a bad decision. So they leave Egypt and they're back in the desert outside or south of Jerusalem, the Negev Desert. And they've got so much now because when they're in Egypt, they just kept getting blessed. They've got goats and sheep and, 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 and cattle and they've got gold and silver that the Egyptians gave them and they're loaded and they come out of Egypt and all of a sudden all of their herdsmen start fighting. They got everything. They had nothing when they showed up. Now they got everything and they're all fighting about it. We pick up the story in verse 8, if you'll stand out of respect for God's word. 
So Abraham said to his nephew Lot, Lot's, Lot's dad is dead, and Abraham, Abraham's taking Lot on, but Lot's riding on Abraham's coattails. There ain't nothing about Lot. Lot is being blessed because he's connected to Abraham. But Abraham says, look, let's not have any quarreling between you and me, your herdsmen and mine, for we're brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked up and saw the whole plain of the Jordan, and it was well watered, like the garden of the Lord. Don't miss that. Like the land of Egypt towards Zor. We'll come back to that. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan. While Lot lived among the cities of the plain and don't miss this. Where did he pitch his tent? Sodom. Here's what God said about Sodom. This is the opening shot. Said, now the men of Sodom were wicked and they were sinning greatly against the Lord. Now the Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from them, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south and east and west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. How long? Uh, If you're looking at world history, think about that. It's going to be yours forever. I will make you your offspring like the dust of the earth. So that if anyone can count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I'm giving it to you. So Abraham moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron. Where he built an altar to the Lord. You can be seated. All right. So <clears throat> we have to choose wisely. Well, Abraham chose wisely to leave Ur. He chose very poorly to go down to Egypt and to risk his wife, to risk himself. This time, he decides he's not going to mess it up. And he's going to let Lot make a choice. But I'm going to give you some principles here today to work with. Because the one thing I know about life is it's not about making bad decisions. It's about learning from those bad decisions so that next time you make a good decision. Because we've already admitted we've all made plenty of bad ones, right? We're all there. We've all been there. All right, we'll talk about that later. But you need to choose through God's eyes. Let me remind you of the story of when King David, or David, was getting ready to be anointed as king. And the prophet Samuel sends, um, is sent by God to anoint one of Jesse's sons. So all of Jesse's sons are gathered up, and they all look like kings, big, tough guys. And God goes, nope. Nope, 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 nope. Samuel's like, you got any more kids? Yeah, I just got one, that scrawny kid out there with a sheep. And as soon as David comes in from the fields, God says, yeah, that's the one. That's the one. And then he says this, 1 Samuel 16, 7. He said, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And you see, we get so busy preparing the outside that we think God's impressed with that. 
by how we dress or where we live or what we, what we drive. You know, I went to school with a friend who was from India. And he said, Joe, you Americans aren't the sharpest group. And I'm like, yeah, I can recognize that. He said, in India, he said, they build things that are gods. They just take gold and they make a mouse and then they worship the mouse. He said, here in America, you guys have the same shiny objects. You're just not smart enough to realize that you've turned them into gods. Whether it's a house or a car or your clothes or your relationships or your bank accounts. He said, at least in India, we can recognize what a god is. Americans haven't figured that out yet. And I was like, wow, he's right. And how often have we made choices by our eyes and then wished we hadn't have made that decision? Oh, he looked good, she looked good, the car looked good, the house looked good, and yet there was never any ask of God about what is the right thing to do here. All right. Now, I know every one of you has gotten in trouble. In fact, in Proverbs, it says wine looks really good in the bowl, but in the end, it bites like a snake. See, there's all kinds of things we could talk about here where we think we're getting the shiny, wonderful thing. But the truth is, a lot of times those shiny, beautiful things end up owning us instead of us owning them. And this seems like it's, it's an incredible act of generosity on Abraham's part. Because Abraham could have said, Lot, listen, I'm doing this, you get out of my face. But he doesn't. He defers to Lot, and Lot uses his eyes. He doesn't talk to God. Now, let me show you, okay? Here's what the Jordan Valley looks like. It is gorgeous. Now, all around it is abject desert. It looks like a moonscape when you're, when you're, off, when you're outside the, the plain there. <clears throat> but this is what he's looking at, except... He says he was down by Sodom. Well, Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities of the plain are down south of the Dead Sea. We know where they all were. And the, and the author says it's not like it is now. Because when, when Moses is writing this, it has been 600 years since Sodom and Gomorrah have been destroyed. He says, but before they were destroyed, they looked like the rest of the Jordan Valley. Now it's just nothing. It's totally wiped out. Now... This is where Israel grows everything. All their fruits, their vegetables, a lot of the sheep are, are all, to, to this day, all here. And there's a story in the book of Numbers when um, Moses sent the 12 spies into the land. Remember that story? And they came back and they said, oh, there's giants and we're scared. And, but when they came back, they came back with grapes. Anybody remember this? And it said it took two men to carry a cluster of grapes. They had a pole and a pole, and in between, everybody goes, oh, that's, that's ridiculous. Okay. You look this up when you go home, or if you're bored now, you can look it up. Um, <clears throat> look up the Caleb grape. The Caleb grape. A grape grows this big. They only grow in the Jordan Valley. So if you have a cluster of Caleb grapes, it would take two people to carry them. Look it up. I can't do everything for you. Look it up. All right. All right. The Caleb, the Caleb grape. So this is what, this is what Lot sees and Lot's like, I'll take that. But he made a crucial mistake. And that's 
who was living there. We'll get to that in a second. What Abraham gets left with looks like this. He goes to Hebron. Now, today there's a huge city in Hebron. But the city that Abraham is, is in is, I don't know, 40 or 50 acres. It is nothing but dirt and dust and a few palm trees and a well that Abraham dug. And I've been down in that well. It's dry today. I've been all the way down to the bottom of that well where Abraham dug it 4,000 years ago. And that's all Abraham has is one well, a few palm trees, and he's in the desert. But let me tell you something. You are better off to be with Jesus in the desert with a couple of palm trees than you are to be without Jesus in the greatest land that ever was. Because it, where you choose to pitch your tent is going to change everything. Lot learns this lesson. Here's what happens. And we'll, you're going to see this over the next, it'll be after Easter before we get to all these stories. The decision that Lot just made, I'm going to go to the east. It's going to cost him his wife's life. His two son-in-laws are going to die. He's going to end up having incestuous sexual relations with both of his daughters and Lot's line to this day is a messed up group of people from a decision that was made 4,000 years ago because of where he chose to pitch his tent. Now let me just propose this to you. Okay, let's just give it to Lot. Let's say that he chose that land, okay? The valley's long, the valley's big. He could have been anywhere he wanted to be but he takes his family into Sodom. Now don't think for a minute he didn't know about Sodom. Be like saying, you guys don't know about San Francisco. You, know, you don't have to be from San Francisco to know about it. You know about San Francisco. You, I, Key West. I mean, it's not, I can throw out cities and you go, oh, yeah, I know what that city's known for. You know, and so did Lot. He could have taken the planes but not pitched his tent in Sodom. It is so perverted and so wicked that in a couple of chapters, Abraham is going to pray for God not to wipe out the city. God said, or Abraham said, if you can find uh, if I, 10 people in that city, please don't wipe it out. 10 godly people. God only found four. And only three of them made it out. So that means Lot took his family into a place where there was nothing but sexual perversion and garbage. And he moved in because he thought that was a place to make a lot of money. Pitched his tent in a really bad place. Abraham, on the other hand, goes out to Hebron in the desert, pitches his tent. I want to show you what happens. Because... God has talked to Abraham all the way from Ur. He's talked to him all the way around through Syria. He talked to him as he's coming into the promised land. When Abraham decides to run off to Egypt, God quit talking to him. The minute Abraham comes back and pitches his tent in Hebron, God shows up. And God said, hey, Abraham, welcome back. 
You're back where you're supposed to be. He said, by the way, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Look to the north, the south, the east, and the west. Going to give it all to you. Count the dust. That's how many your descendants are going to be. Still 25 years from even having a son. But God is telling him again about the promise. Why now? Because he's put his tent in the right place. You see, when you're out, you're out running around Involved in sexuality you shouldn't be involved with. You're out having an affair. You're out drunk somewhere. You're out uh, with pornography or, or some kind of drug thing or what, whatever. You, you pick it. You can't be shocked that God's not sitting there with you talking to you. It's not till you get your tent in the right place that God can talk to you. It's like God's like, God's like, I'm not going in there. Why would I go in there? When you want to come back to the right place, you, I'm not saying church necessarily, you need to be in church, but I'm saying out of that situation and then back where you should be, then God begins to talk again. It matters where you pitch your tent. In fact, in John chapter 1, I'll tell you about Jesus. Uh, it says that Jesus, John 1, 1, Jesus is the uh, embodiment of the word of God. He is God in in flesh, but it said the word of God, Jesus, became flesh and he dwelled among us. The word there is he pitched his tent with us. That's why Jesus was able to qualify to be our savior because he moved into our neighborhood. He moved in to our Sodom and he came in and died after living a perfect life to save us from our sin because he pitched his tent amongst us. Now, it says the same thing about us. Watch this. This is Paul in Acts chapter 17. He says, from one man, God made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. Adam, yeah. Noah, yeah. Abraham, yeah. Any one of those would work. But God determined the times set for them. So those of you that are worried about, am I going to die from this or die for that? Let me, let me tell you, you're going to die exactly when God has it on his calendar. Not a day before, not a day after, no matter what this does, that does, the government does, the world does. Whenever your days are over, my days are over, that's when we're going to go. And he has the exact place where you should live. Wow. People are like, well, why was I born in America? Why was I born in Australia? Why? Listen, you were born where you were because God knew right where he wanted you to be born. And it's not just that, but is it Florida? Is it Ormond Beach? Is it Port Orange? Listen, God puts you in the address he put you in. You are in that address for a reason. Because God didn't build us all to be in one compound he put all of us right where he wanted us to be because there are people that only you can reach. Neighbors that only you can minister to. People that only you can take care of. You and I are in an address that we're supposed to be in. And I'll be real transparent with you here. I thought, I don't know how my wife was going to react to this story last night, but I think she was, I think the pain's gone. So she, she handled it. But Luann and I, Luann and I, just being real, very real with you, we made a decision about 10 years ago, uh, we, we needed a bigger house. Okay. We didn't consult God. We did everything the way Lot did it. We looked with our eyes. We liked the house. Moved in. Everything went wrong. 
great stress on our marriage, great stress on our finances, uh, was a mess with the school system. Long story short, three months later, I bought my old house back. And some of you lived through that with me and helped me move twice, and it cost me $40,000. And I look back at that, and I think, God was never involved with that. It's my fault. God was never involved with that decision. I can't blame anybody but me. But I don't think we consciously say, I didn't say, God, I don't want you to be involved in this process. But I think what we do is we don't necessarily go to God because we don't want to hear his answer. Because had I asked, I think I would have gotten a real good response. But God has me right where he wants me. Well, I know that now. I figured that out. I'm in the house I'm supposed to be in, in the neighborhood I'm supposed to be in. Why didn't one of you read that passage to me 10 years ago? That would have saved me a lot of grief. But listen, haven't we all done that? We've all made those kinds of mistakes. And again, it's not about making them. It's about not making them again. That's really what the goal is. And then at the end of this, we need to choose where God is actually living. Now listen to me. In Abraham's case, he chooses the desert with God instead of the beautiful Jordan Valley without God. You... When you're, looking, when you're looking for a husband, you're looking for a wife, you're looking, you need to look not at the outside, but you need to be looking at the heart. Now, obviously, the outside matters, but I'm telling you what, there's a lot of people that made decisions based on the outside, and you know full well how that can turn out. You need to learn to look at the heart and look at what God's doing. And you need the same thing when you're looking for a church. You say, I want to I be where God's working. I want to be where God's already doing something. You, you know why we pick the missions we do? We rarely pick anything that's not already happening. We pick somebody like, well, Jeff from this. Jeff's already got all this going. It's all happening. All I got to do is jump into the middle of it. All I got to do is fund Jeff. He's got it. He'll take care of it. And you want to look for people in your life. You want to look for Bible studies. You want to look for church. You want to look for places where God is at work. Where you're seeing people's lives changed. You're seeing souls saved. And you say, you know what? That's where I need to be. And I want to be a part of that. Because if you go into a situation of sin or a situation of death, you're going to become just like that. People, places, and things, isn't it? I've said that a million times as a parent. The people you hang out with, the places you go, and the things that you do, it's going to determine who you are. So don't look just with your eyes. Be very careful where you pitch your tent. And be sure that you do go where God is already at work. It's a very important principle. Now, again... Readily admitting that we've all made mistakes. I want to leave you with this last quote. You know, on your worst day, the devil on his best day didn't take you out on your worst day. So don't you quit now. Jesus is still at work in your life.